want to talk about freedom today because there's more than one way to lose freedom. Most people, you think of, you know, if I say, oh, careful, you don't lose your freedom, you're immediately thinking of someone's going to come from the outside and take it from you. Someone's going to come and they're going to tie you up or the government's going to clamp down on you or police are going to arrest you and throw you in jail or the boss is going to make you work 80,000 hours. We think of it always coming from the outside, the things that inhibit our freedom. And today I want to tell you that there are at least two other ways that we lose our freedom and they don't come from the outside, they come from the inside. And they're the more dangerous ways of losing our freedom. They're self-inflicted. They're ways that you and I give up and lose the freedom that God has given us through Jesus. The first way is this. Whenever you turn the gospel into a set of rules that you've got to master and accomplish in order to get to God, you are self-sabotaging the freedom he's given you in Christ. Whenever we try to earn approval from God or from anybody else by following a set of rules, unspoken or spoken, biblical or cultural, those rules become a prison. And around the church, we call this works righteousness, this idea that you and I could work and get God to give me his approval because I've earned it. But that mentality, that way of thinking, which still, I, you know, I sit and talk with some of you, I pray with some of you I, and other people, and I, it's still there, this idea that, oh, I have to you know, do good or God will get me and hold it against me. But that becomes a prison uh, when we miss the gospel that way. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? I kind of assume everybody knows this parable, uh, but maybe I shouldn't. It's the father and two sons, and the younger son says, Father, give me my inheritance now. Let's pretend you're dead. I'm going to take the inheritance, and I'm going to go use my freedom. And the father says, okay, and gives him his inheritance there. And then and the younger son goes and blows his, his inheritance, and the older son stays home. And in the end of the story, you all know, the younger son comes back, uh, and the father accepts him back, and the older son is mad. Do you remember what the older son says to him? In Luke chapter 15, 29, and this is all just setting up where we're going to go today, but I, I, we need this set up. The older son says, look to the father. I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And the father says, what? My son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. All those years, that older son had reduced his freedom and turned it into slavery. He'd imposed slavery on himself, thinking he had to earn from his father the things his father was already considering to be his. And so because he approached his relationship with his father that way, it turned into a broken relationship where he was really just using the father, trying to punch the right buttons by doing the right things to get the father to give him the things he really wanted. And so it meant there was no relationship there. And he hadn't only hurt himself, he'd actually hurt the whole family because he had driven a wedge between himself and his father and driven a wedge between himself and his brother, all because he turned himself into a slave trying to do all the right things to get the father to bless him. God isn't looking for slaves. He's looking for sons and daughters. And one way to lose your freedom is to think that Christianity means you follow God's rules in order to get God's approval. And I've seen people, like I said, rack themselves, rack their brains, uh, punish themselves, do all kinds of things because, and it shows up every time they fail, every time they make a mistake, they begin to get afraid that God's now not going to listen to them, that God's now angry with them and God's going to withhold his love. And 
The gospel clearly says that that is not the case. That once we've accepted Jesus, all our sin, past, present, and future, is covered in God's grace and forgiveness. Now I know we have a hard time wrapping our minds around that because some of us, right, right now even some of you are feeling like, yeah, but if you tell someone that, won't they start to not take sin seriously? Because then, you know, if, if all my sins have already been covered, then it's not a big deal, right? It's, it's, it's not a big deal if I sin. It's not a big deal if I use my freedom as a license to go do what I want to do. But here's the thing. That's the other way you and I lose our freedom and end up in prison. When we use freedom as a license to do whatever we want, we self-sabotage our freedom. That's the other way. Think about the younger son. Right, you know this story. Think about the younger son. What did he do? He treated his freedom as a license to do whatever he wanted to do. And what did it, it cost him his freedom? Where did he end up? Where did he end up using his freedom to do whatever he wanted to do, which is, by the way, how everyone defines freedom in our culture. It's doing whatever you want to do and no one's stopping you. You should be able to just do what you want to do. I heard a song yesterday. Someone wrote this song about, I know um, I can do this, I can do that, I can do whatever I want to do, and God still loves me. Because I know what love is. Love means that, you know, you love even though the person, you know, doesn't, even though I don't do all the right things, God's still going to love me because that's what love does. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I heard the next song on their album, which was about how, hey, baby, I know you don't love me because you're not doing the things I want you to do. I'm like, you got two standards there of love, don't you? Two standards there of love. Think about that younger brother who was living by that standard of freedom that I use it for myself. Where did he end up? He consumed everything until it all consumed him. And then here he was sitting, remember, in a pig pen, feeding pigs, thinking about eating their food because he was so hungry. And then he decided, he chose, he willingly put together a plan to go and become a servant in the house where he grew up as a son. He, got, he used his freedom to the point, doing whatever he wanted to do, that he arrived at the place where he was ready and willing to give up his freedom entirely and just be a servant. That's what happens when we abuse freedom. It costs us our freedom. And it tore apart his family as well. And I start here today because we're going to be talking about how the way we use our freedom, you and me, each one of us, individually, impacts the health of our church. Our church will live or it will die based on the way that we use our freedom. So turn to Galatians chapter five in your Bible. Or if you've got our app on your phone, just click the notes tab there and go to the notes and you can follow along there. Galatians chapter five, and this is what we're gonna focus on today as this fourth part of our foundation in what our church is built on. It's built on the way we all use our freedom. So here's Galatians chapter five. We're gonna start in verse 13. This is what it says, God's word says. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. We'll boil that down tells us there are two ways you can use your freedom. You can use your freedom to consume or you can use your freedom to contribute. If we use our freedom, if all of us use our freedom to consume, guess what's gonna happen in the end? 
We're gonna end up consuming each other and destroying our church. But when we use our freedom to serve one another humbly in love, the way Paul describes here, guess what happens? We all contribute to creating something beautiful here, a, a place where God's kingdom and God's will is done and it's evident to the world around us because of the way you and I choose to use our freedom. The mark of a spirit-filled community is, show, is seen in the way we use our freedom, that we use our freedom to contribute, not to just consume, not to just take in. Think of it this way. Pac-Man was the bad guy. I know a lot of you played Pac-Man when you were a kid, or now that you're old, you still play it. Pac-Man was the bad guy. He wasn't the good guy. I know he was the one you were controlling and thinking, oh, I gotta stay away from those evil ghosts. No, I think Pac-Man was the bad guy. Going around, gobbling up everything, consuming it all, he probably killed those other ghosts, were probably other Pac-Men, who he killed because they were getting in the way of him wanting to consume all those pellets. And so now he chases them, even they're dead and gone, and he's still chasing their ghosts because he's so desperate to just consume, he's looking for a way to, to keep getting them and keep devouring them. And guess what they do? They keep trying to get him. That's how insane consumption is. Even after you're dead, even after you're broken, you still want to consume and go and get it. And when you use freedom that way, it becomes a trap, a prison where you're just trapped in this loop of consuming. A community of consumers becomes a ghost town. And that might be funny, but it's not a joke. The way we use our freedom can either kill or it can bring life. And the question is, are we using our freedom to serve and love others, to contribute, or are we just consuming? Are we withholding, or are we just pulling in and trying to soak in for ourselves? This is one of the hardest things we'll deal with as a church family, because it's a battle. This thing with freedom inside each of us is a battle, and Paul knows that. And so Paul goes on to just show us what's actually going on here. He explains why it's a battle. Look at verse 16. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want to do. This is one of those times where it's really important that we understand exactly what the words Paul is using mean. Uh, one common mistake a lot of people have made is to assume that the word flesh here means our physical bodies. And if flesh means our physical bodies, then they go and they say, oh, so the problem is that all of our physical appetites must be bad, and our physical body must be bad, and so we've gotta somehow you know, deny our physical body and favor instead our spiritual body inside of us. And what that does is it leads to all kinds of self-inflicted freedom loss, all kinds of self-inflicted prisons that we put ourselves in because we mistake what Paul is talking about here. When Paul uses the word flesh here, he's not talking about your physical body and my physical body. He's talking about that part of you and me that is still living for ourselves, that is still not renewed by the Holy Spirit yet that needs to still be transformed. And until the day Jesus returns and makes all things new, or you and I die, we will always have a part of us that is striving against God, striving just to do what we want to do. That will be there until that final day when he makes all things new and makes us new and whole and perfect. Where that, that old dead self, that old self-centered self that isn't capable of love, that only wants to use its freedom to consume, where that gets removed and finally dies and now we're free 
to love and care for others and build a new creation of love. That self-seeking, sin-serving, unsubmitted to God part, that's what he's talking about when he talks about flesh. And the problem isn't that, oh, you've got this part of you that's not submitted to God that just wants to do what you wanna do, and it wants bad things, and this other part that's submitted to God, the spirit part that wants good things, no, the, the things that the, the bad part of you wants, he actually describes not as bad desires, he calls them over-desires. And what he's saying is, what happens when this part of you and me that is focused on being my own God, saving myself, doing what I wanna do, that has a set of desires. But what it does is it takes them and it over-desires them. Because what we really need is God. God's the one who brings us salvation. God's the one who brings us security, peace, real joy. But this other part of me tries to find it in other ways, and so it takes money or my career or sex or some substance, and it elevates that thing and says, that's the thing we gotta get in order to feel like we're saved, like we're safe, like we're secure, like we're happy. And it begins to over-desire that thing. It puts that thing up on a pedestal and chases that thing. That's the mistake that's made. That's the conflict here. The spirit is desiring God first and everything else then falls into place. This other part of me, what it does is it doesn't trust God to supply my needs, to supply my security and my salvation. It doesn't trust him that there's an eternity that he is preparing for us, that there will be a new creation, that all things will be made new. It doesn't trust because I can't see that, but I can see that thing over there. I can see a big bank account. I can see having a lot of popularity and friends. I can see that drink. I'm gonna go there because that way I'll feel like I've achieved some happiness, some joy, some sense of status. And so this thing over-desires it. That's the conflict that's going on here. Inside every one of us, inside you and me every day. And if you just let yourself think about this for a little while and begin to ask, what are the things in my life I'm over-desiring? How much am I desiring God? That'll tell you where you're at in terms of the part of you that's selfish desiring, using freedom for you, and the part that's desiring God, the Spirit. The Spirit desires God most of all. So the end result is if when we use our freedom to consume everything, and we go with that other side, we get to the things that our sinful nature sets its sight on, they become too important. So as you look at your life, look at where your time's gone, look at where your money's gone, look at where your energy's gone, look at where your worries go. Are they toward the things of God? Are they toward things that are eternal? Or are they toward other things that you've decided, I need that in order to feel secure, in order to feel saved, in order to feel value? I feel valued because my kids love me. I feel valued because I've got a good career. I feel valued because I have a bank account of a certain size. I feel at peace because of that thing I've consumed, because of that thing I ate, I drank, I smoked, I felt. When we use freedom that way, Paul says we become trapped. We become a slave to the point where we can't even do what we want to do. Did you catch that in that verse? He says, so we're not even doing the things we want to do because our deepest desire is to serve God. Our deepest desire is for God and for this freedom to, to love and 
to care for other people and not have it be messed up by my own selfish desires. That's our greatest desire, but when this other part of me gets in the way and and keeps me from desiring and from doing and pursuing that. It's like at the end of Romans 7, if you ever go read Romans 7 later today, and Paul talks about this very same thing, and he ends it by saying, oh, who's gonna rescue me from this body of death? Who's gonna get me out of this? And what you and I need to recognize today is that there is a war going on inside every one of us between these two natures, the sinful nature set on myself and the spirit nature set on God. That's a war, and that's what makes this so difficult. But let me show you, just just to help nail this in a little bit, Paul shows us what happens to our relationships with God and other people when we pursue this sin nature, this selfish nature, when we go down that road and, and use our freedom to consume. Here's what happens, verse 19. He says, the acts of the flesh, that flesh, not your body, but the part of you that's set against God, that wants selfish desire. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, binges, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you, as you heard that list, are like, you, oh, okay, I get all those things, I know what they are. It's kind of a long list of what seems like very different things, but they break into four different groups. What Paul is showing us here is the sinful nature turns everything into a consumption game. And in particular, it hits on four areas, sex, religion, relationships, and substances. That's what's in this list, you could break it down. He talks about sex, talks about relationships, religion, and substances. So the first few, the first three, show us that the sinful nature, it turns sex into a consumption game. It starts out by having us take sex outside of the the confines of a covenant marriage between a husband and a wife before God. So we take it outside of that and look for it in other places. And then that leads us to turning sex into a thing that's only about pleasure and what feels good to me, that's impurity, and then becomes, and then takes to this place where we're controlled by it, that's debauchery. This is what Using freedom this way does for our sinful nature. It turns it into a prison. It makes it a consumption game. The sinful nature takes religion and makes it about consumption. It creates counterfeit gods, he tells us, and counterfeit spiritual experiences. Uh, that way, I, if I can have a, you know, a feeling like I'm connected to God, a feeling like I'm having spiritual experiences, without having to actually bow and submit myself to God, well, then that's a win-win. For me, I get to feel like I have spiritual growth and spiritual experiences, but I don't have to actually obey and follow God and have that relationship thing. And that is how we turn religion and spirituality into a consumption game. And that doesn't just happen outside of churches. That happens inside of churches all the time where we make God just about getting me the thing I want we show up and say, God, please, I really need you. I really need you to help me. And then we forget about God's will or who God is and who we are the rest of the time, the rest of our week, the rest of our lives. When we do that, we're turning religion into a consumption game, making false experiences, false God. Next thing, he says, it turns, the sinful nature turns relationships into a consumption game. It's jealous of what other people have, and then it wishes it could have the things they have, 
so that they don't have it, but now I have it, that's envy, and that, because that's not the case, it throws them into fits of rage, and people get upset, and then they hate each other and resent each other, and what that does is it leads to arguments, it leads to breakups, it leads to tribalism, where everyone begins to divide into factions and choose a side, and then you hate the other side, and you vilify the people on the other side because they chose the other side from the side you chose. Have you seen that happen around our world, around our culture? Have you ever seen it happen in church? These aren't just, oh, this is what happens to non-Christians. This is Paul writing to a church, a community of believers, warning them that this can happen to you if you don't get the way you use freedom right. If you're using it for that sinful nature, that part of you, then it's gonna turn everything into a consumption game, including all of your relationships with each other and your relationship with me, your relationship with your body. The last two he mentions are, are around substances. The sinful nature turns substances, and specifically here, alcohol, into a consumption game. Instead of just having a drink, the drink has you. Because you have to have it to feel relaxed, to feel a little bit better, to get that edge off of your day, to feel at ease, and before long, you're going on binges, he talks about, to try and numb the feelings. And that's not just alcohol, there's all kinds of other substances that do that. Some illegal, most of them legal. Last time I checked, pizza was still legal. But let's be honest with each other here. What are the things that you and I run to? Because you know what? That's going to help me feel a little bit better right now. That's going to make me happy right now. Because something's wrong in our mind. We're valuing that thing and seeking that thing as though it's going to make us, give us the things that really only God can. And so we're over-desiring it. And that's a trap. That imprisons us. That way of using our freedom destroys us and destroys community. And this is what the sinful nature does in our lives. It turns us into consumers who only use our freedom to just consume until those things we're consuming consume us. And then when you're using your freedom to consume and then become a slave of that consumption, there's no way you'll ever be able to serve and help others or even notice the things going on in their lives. You can't contribute to others when you're being consumed by your desire to consume. You can't use your freedom to serve and care for others when you're living for your next drink or whatever that next buzz feeling is. You'll start choosing the drink over people because you've given your freedom to that substance. You can't really use your freedom to serve others when you're using it to get what you want, to get your goals and the things. You're too busy fighting everybody and resenting people who are getting in the way of you getting the things you want. So how can you be serving each other humbly with love if you're trying to just use everybody to get to the thing you want to have? You can't use your freedom to serve the church family when sexual desire is tainting and shaping all of your relationships. And you can't serve God's people when you're faking the work of the Spirit in your life or settling for counterfeit gods. We just can't. Paul says it bluntly. He says there's no place for this consuming way of living in God's family. There is no, welcome home, son. Put on this robe, put on this ring, put on these shoes, let's have a feast. Yes, I'm bringing you back into the family. I'm, yes, I'm inheriting you. There is none of that while we're out there still just chasing our freedoms to consume and get the things that we want. That that part of me that just wants to establish my own way, that wants to do my own thing, as long as I'm chasing that and not the part that's been renewed by the Spirit, chasing my desires, not God's, that sinful nature, then there is no, yeah, come back in, get in here, let's go. You're in the family. 
That consumption keeps us away. That part of you keeps you consuming and consuming and consuming. And just like those two brothers misused their freedom, and in misusing their freedom, they, they wrecked their family, we do the same thing to our, our church family when we don't use our freedom the way God has called us to, the way the Holy Spirit enables us to. And that's, I don't know about you, that disturbs me. Because I know how broken I am. And I know how broken you are. I know how much we can get this wrong. But what would happen if we got it right? What would happen if you and me, if, if we were led by the Spirit in, in our lives? What, what would change? What would it look like? Listen to the way he talks about it. Watch what happens when we walk by the Spirit and let him lead our lives. He, he puts our desires in order so God is the central desire and all the other desires then fall in place. So we're not over-desiring things. So trying to make them do things they could never do. And then our, our freedom, it's not used selfishly, but we start to use it selflessly. And then here's what happens. Verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So right away, notice the difference. He said, when it comes to, if you're doing the work of that sinful nature part of you, that's, that's holding back from God, if you're doing that, it's work. It's the work of that is the, the misuse of sex, the misuse of religion, the misuse of relationship, and the misuse of substances. That's the work. It leads you, it drives you to go after these things and strive and strive and strive to try and make something, and it never works. It just imprisons you. The consumption never stops. But with the Holy Spirit, it's fruit. It grows. It grows. Slowly, over time, it grows, and that's the work of the one cultivating it, not you. But this grows in your life when the Holy Spirit's there. And that's a huge difference. The Holy Spirit grows these things in us, and he turns us into contributors because this fruit is coming out of us, not just consumers. He turns us into creators so that this fruit comes out, bringing new life and nourishment to the people around us, and in particular, our church family. And I think Paul uses fruit... There's a couple things that we can learn from the fact that he uses fruit. One is that, yes, it takes time. It's gradual. It's not going to be sudden, so be patient. I don't expect yourself to all of a sudden have all this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't expect it to just be there. This isn't McDonald's. This is the Holy Spirit cultivating you, cutting off the dead parts, enriching that soil, doing work in your life that takes time. But then suddenly what will happen is you'll realize one day you're in a situation and you have more patience. You have more joy. You're able to be more gentle. Why? Not because you uh, tried, but because you put yourself in the presence of the Spirit. You stayed connected to Jesus. And it just grows in you. And it's there. And, the, I mean, it's not, again, let's be clear, this is not um, your personality traits. Some of you are very kind people. And you're that way maybe because the way you were born, maybe because your parents drilled it into you as a kid. And you're a very kind person. It's just your, your nature. Some of you are very joyful people. It's just your nature. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a divine work of God who puts all of these things. He actually doesn't call it. He doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit. This is all words for this, what this fruit is like. Right? It's, it's delicious. It's juicy. It's crisp. It's tart. It's sweet. It's all these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That 
grows out of you and me slowly over time. Not because, oh, I'm predisposed to it, but because the Holy Spirit's doing this work in me. And so it's supernatural. And the other thing then to, to just notice, because it's fruit and it grows gradually, um, Tim Keller shares a story about this that I think is just a great way to think about it. Um, tells a story about a man who, who died, and when they buried him, uh, they put him in the grave, and then they were going to put a marble slab on top, like a four-inch thick marble slab on top of the whole grave. And what happened was they you know, put, put him in the hole, were putting the dirt in. No one noticed they, they, an acorn fell in the hole. I mean, why would you? <laughs> it's an acorn. It's not a big deal. You're going to put a four-inch thick slab of marble on top of this thing. They put it down, walked away. And no one noticed anything for days, weeks, months, even years until that acorn, turns out, was growing all that time. And eventually, and finally, broke open that marble cap and the tree just grew right out of it. I think that's a beautiful picture for you and me because there are times when you and I will feel like that sinful nature part of us is as thick as four-inch marble and hard and dense as marble. And how is God ever gonna penetrate that thing? He put this nature in me to want him and yet all these other wants, the desire to use my freedom to consume, it's like surrounded my heart. How is God gonna, how is that gonna break out? And, and here's the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. He will. He will. Nothing is going to keep that growth from happening in your life when we're connected to the Holy Spirit and he's working in us. And that should be a hopeful thing. Don't look at yourself today and say, oh, no, there's just too much. Too much, I'm chasing freedom for myself in too many ways and ugh, and walk out of here feeling bad about yourself. Because to do that would be to deny the gospel. The gospel is God already knows that about you. You don't have to cover it up. Just grab hands with the Holy Spirit. And let him grow you, grow you until this changes. The Holy Spirit will turn you and me into a creator, into a contributor. He'll transform you into someone who uses their freedom for Jesus to serve others humbly with love. And then that's how you will contribute to the family of God. We use our freedom to contribute, not to consume. Just so we have this clear, how does this all happen? (laughs) How do we learn to use the freedom this way? How do we get to this place? Think back to the story of the prodigal son. Neither of those two sons used their freedom well. And because of that, their family was almost destroyed. In the end, it's still broken because the older son is still walking away and is gonna use his freedom his own way. And, And that's where this story breaks from our reality. You see, if it were up to you and me, we'd probably never use our freedom the right way. We'd all keep going like these two brothers were going, using our freedom to just chase the things we want. But in our story, in our actual story, Jesus stepped in. He used his freedom to serve us, the prodigals, the ones who were just living for ourselves and doing what we wanted to do, following our own sinful natures, just trying to save ourselves, all that stuff. He stepped in and sacrificed himself on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven and set free. That he did that, he completed that work for your sin, past, present, and future. And that work secures you when you put your faith in Jesus. God declares you righteous, not until you make the next mistake. 
He declares you righteous because you're in Christ. And now what that does, listen to how Paul summarizes it in the end of chapter five. He says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You belong to Christ already. That's the first thing. First thing to remember, you belong to Christ already. God's approval of you is based on what he did, not what you do. It's based on what Jesus has already done. We're free from the need to earn God's forgiveness and approval. So we're free to not have to hide our failures and our brokenness and our mistake. What's the point of trying to cover it up when Jesus has already covered it with his forgiveness and grace? And so instead of spending your energy trying to cover up the fact that, yeah, you're broken, yeah, you mess up, yeah, you act selfishly, yeah, that sinful nature's still there, instead of trying to cover that up because we all know it's true of all of us, let's spend our energy in two other places that he gives us here. First one is this, crucify that old sinful nature, that selfish nature. We crucify it when we put our faith in Jesus. The cross is an appropriate image here, although horrific, because when they hung someone on a cross, they nailed them to the cross, and the person didn't die right away. They kept going and going, sometimes for days and longer. It took sometimes a long time for someone to die. And that feels true about our sinful nature. Like, when is this thing going to die? It keeps wiggling around. It keeps moving. It keeps exerting effort and, and control over me. When is it going to die? And here's where you and I need to spend our energy crucifying this sinful nature that doesn't want God, that just wants what we want every day. And here's what that means. It doesn't just mean, oh, try to be better and say no to doing bad things. It means this. Dig out the, the things. Dig out the sin when you're struggling with something, a temptation that you keep giving into, uh, when you're elevating something and chasing it as more than God, uh, and that's what you're putting your hope in, whether it's a substance or a relationship or an experience or a sensation, whatever it is, dig at it. Don't cover it up. Dig it out. Dig around it to see what, where are the roots coming from on this sin. What, what's, where, what's leading to this? Why am I feeling this way? What's motivating me to feel like I need to have that thing? To feel like I, I've got to chase that thing. Like that thing's going to make me really happy. That relationship's going to really be the answer in my life. What is it? Don't ask what you're doing wrong. Ask why. Ask why and dig around it. And then ask God and pray and confess. Say, God, please. I feel like I need this thing so badly right now. I feel like I need to lash out in anger. I feel like I need to go watch that on TV or on my computer. I feel like I need to go drink. I feel like I need to go earn more money. I feel like whatever it is, why am I feeling that need so much right now to have that experience, that feeling, that substance? Why is it so attractive to me right now, God? Why am I forgetting your beauty and your love, your promise and your life? Why am I putting that desire above you? Please, Lord, break this attraction that's motivating me. Don't use your energy to cover up the sin. Use it to expose it and crucify it. And ask God, show me why. Why am I being tempted by this thing? <clears throat> and then the other place to spend your energy, he tells us, live within the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Put your energy into focusing on where, Holy Spirit, are you going and leading me right now? How many days do you go through doing your work, cooking dinner, being with the kids, doing whatever you do, and not at all thinking and asking, Holy Spirit, what, what's happening right now in my life, in the life of these people I'm with? 
Keep in step with the Spirit. Pour energy into that. What do you gotta do to remember, to just constantly through the day pray, Holy Spirit, what's happening right now around me? What am I not seeing because I'm just focused on all these other things? Show me. Show me what it means to follow you in this situation right here. God, I wanna say yes to you, to your spirit, to desiring you more. Show me, Lord, how I can see you. Worship team, would you start to come back? As we start to do this new year, I just wanna ask you, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to use your freedom? As we go through this new year, how are you gonna use your freedom? Are you gonna use it as a consumer or a contributor? Will you serve yourself or will you humbly serve your church family here in love, the family of God here in love, not just here, but around the world even. There's so many ways that you can use your freedom to serve. And in particular, as we step back and look at our church, and we hear what Paul's saying to them, look, it's important that you all get your freedom right and use it right. And when you do, you're gonna turn your church, in this case, the church there in Galatia, in our case, this church here in Malden, you're gonna turn that into a place where the Holy Spirit is vibrant and people can see the life because they see you using your freedom for each other. How will you do that here? How will you get involved? Who will you help? Will you help the youth? Will you help the children? Will you help greet? Will you help with the worship team and singing? Will you help where? What can you do? How can you contribute? Showing up and cleaning something, folding something, whatever it is, there's millions of ways. I want you to pray about that and think about that. In a time where everyone has kind of pulled back over these last couple of years, right, because it's been a weird, weird couple of years, now's the time to say, how am I going to lean in and use my freedom the way God calls me to use my freedom to build his church? How are you gonna do that? Where are you gonna serve? Food pantry. How are you gonna serve? How are you gonna help? Security, shoveling snow. What could you do? Maybe there's something we're not even doing and you could do it. As you pray about that, when you think of something, or if one of those places sparks something in your mind, you can go to the website, click that connect with us thing and just fill out that form and check off a box or write in what you're thinking. Let's help each other get connected. One of the main ways, join a life group. Join a life group, pour yourself into those people in that group. Serve those people in that group. Humbly, with love. Say, God, show me how to use my freedom to bless these other people around me. That kind of church is gonna be powerful. But it starts today. All that I want you to do, I want you to take that as your homework. Think about that, pray about that. Use the app, send in that form. But it starts today by wrestling with the flesh thing. That part of you that fights against God. I don't know where you reach out today. Some of you are in here, and maybe you're doing great with that. And, and, you know, every day you're, like, crucifying that sinful nature a little bit more, and you've been growing. Okay, great. Share that with others. Help others to do that. Many of you are probably struggling with it, and you're realizing this morning that, yeah, there's a big part of me that is just doing what I want to do, and I'm not paying at all any attention to what God wants. And I invite you to, today, now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to get more involved and volunteer because um, I'm not in this just to get more volunteers to fill out ministry positions. If, if you were to just volunteer for something today but you don't get this um, sinful nature thing first, this freedom thing first, then all you'd be doing is you'd be running the risk of, again, setting up a, a rule-keeping way of, oh, well, I'm, I'm volunteering for this ministry so God must be happy with me. No. It has to start from the Holy Spirit moving in your heart today, convincing you that, yeah, I wanna be a contributor, not a consumer. 
I want to use my freedom for God, not for myself. And then out of that, let all these other things flow. Let all the giving and serving and all that stuff flow. Let him plant that desire in you this morning.